Hi, my name is Martin Purnell, and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church, and for those that are just disillusioned. Our email address is ogc at accessradio.biz, biz is spot B-I-Z, and find us as well, please, on Facebook. Our page is Off Grid Christianity. On today's podcast is a gentleman who wants to have an argument with me, as he insists Bath is pronounced Bath, and not Bath with an R in it. Yeah, right. Our guest until 2022 was a pastor at Woodstock Road Baptist Church, Oxford, before taking over the leadership of the South Central Ministry course. Our guest is also director of Living Out and speaks in many churches and events on being single. But what is Living Out? What is the difference between being single and married in a church, apart from that certificate? And what's the difference between same-sex attraction and being gay? What does the Bible say about all of these questions and issues? And what does the Bible say about the correct pronunciation of Bath? It gives me great pleasure to talk to, and in his words, a northerner even, in exile, Andy Robinson. Welcome, Andy, to Off-Grid Christianity from a southerner in exile. <laughs> <laughs> really good to, uh, to meet you, Martin. I will, I will see what my pronunciation sounds like <laughs> over the next bit of time. Just before we do the five questions, whereabouts in northerner land do you hail from, sir? Well, I, I moved around quite a lot when I was growing up. So born in Manchester, then Liverpool, and then Northumberland up in Berwick-upon-Tweed. So, oh, uh, very nice. So, so to be honest, I have actually been down south about three quarters of my life, but I'm, I'm desperately clinging on to my northern accent. Nah, you haven't. <laughs> oh, no, I'm offended. <laughs> oh, well, that's a great start. Manchester, that means if you're born in Manchester, you have to be either Stockport County fan, Berry fan or Man City fan. Would I be right? <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm not going to make everybody listening hate me. I, I am a red, I'm afraid. So, what are the uh, few from Manchester? Well, that's true. I, I, I'm a Manchester United fan who was actually born in Manchester. Oh, no. that, that does make you quite unusual. <laughs> exactly. Well, there we go. Let's see how you get on with the five questions. That's right, Andy. And I really appreciate you taking valuable time out today to do this podcast. Question number one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? I think I would go for the Queen, actually. Obviously, died last year. I I don't know whether she would answer any of the questions because she always had the reputation for being quite discreet. But... I was thinking there's probably nobody else who's had such a big impact in our lives about which we know virtually nothing. Yeah. So I'd love to know what she made of the different prime ministers and presidents that she met and you know the various celebrities. As I say, I've no idea where she, whether she would answer my questions, but I'd, I'd have fun asking. Yeah, that's a great answer. In fact, that was chosen as, um, just a few weeks ago by somebody else. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Yes, obviously. And to say, look here. Mom, wouldn't it be? Look at him. Well, that's true, yeah. indeed. What was Winston Churchill really like compared to Quite. Margaret Thatcher compared to Tony? But yes, that's a yeah. I'd like to hear what she says because obviously she'll be free to say what she says. Well, hopefully, yes. <laughs> Good answer, thank you. Question two: Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please? Well, I'll, I'll go for for parable. Yeah. Not a particularly well-known one, but it, it comes up in Matthew's Gospel. There's the, the workers in the vineyard where the people who work all day get the same pay as those who turn up in the uh, in the last hour. And I think it, Jesus is making the point that in the end, it's it's not about how much work we've done. It's the fact that he's generous and God is generous. 
uh, and often we get from God what we don't deserve and what we don't earn. So I, I've always loved that that parable because it I don't know it kind of describes life actually that we we often get and certainly in the future we'll get more from God than we can ever work for. Good answer, thank you. It's not often we get parables these days on that question, so that's very good. Thank you. Question three: We talk about prime ministers. Imagine you were prime minister, good sir, <laughs> and if you could change any law in that one day of yours in which you're prime minister or impose a new law what would it be okay so serious one and flippant one oh the, please I mean, the, the, one as well please yeah no, i mean the, the serious one and you've heard this from others would would probably be in the area of abortion but i know others have spoken about that so i i won't go there flippant one i would make it compulsory for english test cricket to be free to air on television Sorry, round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. I, I, I mean, I remember as a child getting to watch England yes. on television and lots of, lots of kids these days wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get the chance to do that. No. So, uh, no. So, so probably not the most serious issue in the world, but there you go. No, it is a serious I'm sorry, it is a serious issue. <laughs> it is. Yes, 2005. Was it two, yeah, 2005. Mm. It was the last ever test series to be broadcast on Terrestrial Channel, Channel 4, who did a cracking yep. job of the, the Ashes test series. Oh, now, I, I remember that. Wow. Well, our son was four, okay? Okay. And the reason why I'm saying this is that after each day, I would go out into the back garden with our four-year-old son just to teach him how to play the rudiments of, of cricket. And he would instinctively get the tennis ball, okay, mm. and rub it up and down on his trousers. <laughs> Now he had no idea about spin <laughs> or the way that you the ball swings through the air, but because he saw the cricketers do this, he had to do it, and that to me was the golden chance for ECB as it was in those days mm. to say, right, we'll keep it on terrestrial. But no, 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 no. I know it's uh, it, it's it's sad, but yeah, I haven't got a clue what they look like these days. I've just lost interest now until it's sure. back on terrestrial i'm not paying money to sky no offense to sky but you shouldn't <laughs> have had it just saying <laughs> question four outside of family events what has been your most enjoyable day out please andy well i'm going to carry on with the sporting theme here so i got to go to a couple of days the london olympics all right in uh, in 2012 so I, th- I think watching i think watching handball from memory so a kind of sport i would never normally yeah watch but it, it gave me the chance to get into the olympic park and soak up the atmosphere uh, and it was it was a remarkable couple of weeks really just the ap- whole atmosphere in london was completely different to yeah. normal people chatting on the tube and all that kind of stuff yeah very fond memories of a couple of days at the olympics and one night at the paralympics wow. uh, in london 2012 wow. so that was that was definitely a highlight I think Sweden are massive into handball, aren't they? So it's kind of yeah, countries. I think so. Most most European countries other than us seem to be quite good at it. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, we didn't invent it, so we don't play it. I think is our motto. <laughs> That's probably right. <laughs> Mind you, we invented ice hockey, but we're not very good at that. Uh, and football and cricket and yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Question five: What has been your most embarrassing moment? Oh, I mean, plenty. Uh, mainly as a church leader, sort of leading services that are, are going wrong. I remember my first few months as a as a pastor, where you know I would do children's talks, and I 
I think within the first few months, I'd made children cry repeatedly. <laughs> I'd, I think I was trying to dress up as a doctor to show that Jesus comes for sick people and got rubber gloves caught on my hand and couldn't get them off and so on. And I, I, remember, I remember somebody elderly in the church coming to me saying very earnestly and seriously, yes, we are praying for your children's talks. Basically, putting me in front of children doing a children's talk resulted in various embarrassments. Well, I wish we could have been there. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for those uh, those answers, Eddie. Okay, so apart from being in Manchester when you were born and apart from moving down to the south of England, what made you become a pastor? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, two things, really. So when I was sort of in my, my mid-20s, I'd just begun to do different aspects of Christian leadership. I'd worked with a Christian organization working with students for a number of years. And I think two things. Part of me just loved getting alongside people. So yeah. one of the, the privileges of being a pastor is just walking alongside people in all the ups and downs, some of the big moments in life, often getting to know what's going on with them. And that, that's just a massive privilege. And then convinced that that what the Bible's got to say can speak into all the realities of, of life. So, so just a real love for, for the Bible in terms of its, its sheer variety, the fact that you'll have your, your Job that will speak into the agonies of life. You'll just have the beauty of the Gospels where you see Jesus. And, and so convinced that was profoundly relevant to people's yeah. lives in the 21st century. And a few people suggested that, God had given me the ability to to communicate that. So so a love for people, a love for the Bible, and a conviction that it spoke into people's lives. Those two things coming together, really. And the rest is history, as they say. Something like that. <laughs> I was blown away by a, a video that I saw of you speaking in another church. And without rehashing it too much, what really came across was, and something I hadn't really thought about, even though I'd been single for a lot of my life before getting married, was that you were challenging in a loving way about churches who were wanting to look after married couples, but sometimes forgetting single people. So tell me what your experiences are of, of that, please, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am still single, have been for all 46 years of my life. To a large extent, I've found the church a, a, a great place to be. So I've got friends there, married couples, mm. families there who are just brilliant at including me in their lives and in their families. So so I don't want to be overly negative and, and suggest churches are hopeless places for single people. Often they can be good. But my, my concern can be that we give the impression that the goal of life, if you're to reach a certain level of maturity or Christian maturity, is you know, you've got to be married. And you know, mm. we talk about people being still single as though that's a kind of phase they're going to get over one day. Whereas it's perfectly possible to to live for Jesus, to have a, a life marked by flourishing, even if you don't have a, a romantic partner. Let's be honest, Jesus himself was single. Uh, and so to give the impression that you have to be married to live a, a full life, well, obviously Jesus will, would certainly suggest that's not the case. Mm. So from that then, you then become a, obviously a, a Baptist minister. You've helped out in so many marriages. You've got so many friends. Let's talk about uh, living out, if that's okay. Mm, For those yeah. who have never heard about it, tell us basically what living out is all about, please, sir. So living out's about 10 years old, set up by a group of, of Christian leaders who are gay, same-sex attracted, so, so know what that's like, and also believe that 
Jesus teaches that sex is for a marriage between a man and a woman. In many ways, it's a voice that often doesn't get heard, actually. There's yeah. the sort of perception you're either straight or gay, and if you're gay, you must be sort of pro-same-sex marriage and so on. So living out, say, a group of leaders, this would include me, who are, say, attracted to guys rather than girls. That's been the case for me for about 30 years or so now. But I do believe that marriage should be for a man and a woman, and that's what the Bible teaches. So, uh, And so what we do at Living Out are, are two things, really. So, so once we teach and train as to what we think the Bible says on, on sexuality and marriage, and secondly, we want to equip churches to be good places for those in our position. So how do you do pastoral care well with those who are same-sex attracted? How do we engage wisely with a culture which will take a different view on this? How can we engage with culture graciously and kindly and compassionately and wisely? So a lot of Bible stuff on what the Bible says about sexuality and then a lot of training and equipping us to be, the phrase we often use is biblically inclusive churches. Well, let's talk more about that then. Tell me what you mean by biblically inclusive churches, please, Andy. Yeah, good question. So, um, <laughs> very leading. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. We do want churches to be biblical. So, Jesus is asked the question by the Pharisees, happens to be out divorced, but he then goes on to define marriage. Mm. And he does talk about marriage being a man leaving his father and mother, being united to his wife. So, we do want to teach that biblical doctrine that marriage is, is for a man and a woman. But then we want to say, well, if that's the case, how do you include people who are gay, same-sex attracted? And that will involve churches that do value married and single people equally. Mm-hmm. So that if people in my position aren't ever going to get married, how do we, how are we valued by the church? How do we have a sense that the church is family? Interestingly, as you look at the New Testament, the, the Bible keeps using family language to describe the church, brothers, sisters having spiritual parents, spiritual children, so that actually the church isn't saying to people like me, well, if you don't get married, you're just going to be miserable and lonely. How do we create a a family sense Mm. that I really am included in people's lives and uh, and those in in my position? You know, how do all of us find our identity ultimately as those who belong to Jesus, irrespective of our marital status? Those would just be some of the issues we, we work through Largely, we want to say it should be possible for same-sex attracted Christians to live in line with Jesus' teaching and still flourish. That, mm. That's essentially what we're aiming at. Mm. I'm sure we'll come back to the Bible again in a minute, if that's all right, sure. or maybe a few minutes. But as far as the website is concerned, what, what really pleased me was that, as a heterosexual myself, to go on there, it was eye-opening in so many ways to learn you know, from what it must be like to to be gay, to be a Christian, and how you come about it. But also the fact that if you are gay, here's a website as well that will help you out as well. What's been the feedback so far? Oh, it's, it's been largely very positive. One, we want it to be a resource, maybe especially for young people just grappling with sexuality yeah. questions who perhaps have grown up in the church. You know, I remember the sort of process as a teenager for me just beginning to grapple with I think I feel attracted to men. I'm a Christian. What do I do with that? So, yeah, very positive response to the the resources. There's you know videos with testimonies on there. Uh, we do a, a fortnightly podcast, just three or four of us, for whom this is a personal story. Mm. 
talking about our experience, talking about what the church has done well and sometimes less well, and then quite a lot of articles. So let's be honest, it's a question that throws up lots of issues. So we've got an article about most of the issues attached to being Christian and gay or same-sex attractive. For you then, what is the difference between gay and same-sex attraction? Yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly dogmatic on this. I suppose I probably use language of same-sex attraction more often. So if, if you push me, I would describe myself as a Christian. That's that's the most important yeah. thing about me. A Christian who experiences same-sex attraction, which just describes you know, one aspect of my life. I think sometimes where we use the word gay, perhaps that might imply I'm after a gay relationship. That's often what we would assume when we use that language or... Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, a chief component of my identity. So that that's why personally I don't use it that often. But but equally I'm aware in some conversations, same-sex attraction sounds like a kind of weird disease. It's often the language I use, but I might sometimes describe myself as as somebody who's a Christian, who's gay and celibate. That might be language I'd yeah. use as well. So yeah. um, it, it slightly depends who I'm talking to, really. Yeah. Well, you're only talking to me. No one else is listening. So. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering, how much could it be said that uh, the word gay these days has more of a political bias? Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny. Language changes all the time, mm. doesn't it? So, uh, Like bar. So, <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> so I think what gay means now, which may well be to do with adopting a particular identity and persona, I suspect will mean something different in yeah. 10, 15 years' time. And, and that's why, in truth, I, I I think it's always good to ask questions, isn't it? So, just as you've done. So, okay, Andy, you use same-sex attraction. What do you mean by yeah. that? i say some of my friends who would have a similar theology to me will use gay language more. And actually, then you just ask the question, okay, what, what does being gay mean for you? So we want conversation, don't we, rather than hearing a word and making the assumption we know yeah. what people mean by that. But then by asking questions, that that is the thing, isn't it? Are you asking questions to actually learn? Or mm. are you, in which case, are you being a homophobic? Or what's going on? Why can't we ask questions on this subject anymore, do you think? Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm really keen on conversations happening. And, and in many ways, the church is, is at least in that regard, I I think in a better place than it was 20, 25 years ago. Mm. So as a teenager growing up, Christian, probably aware of being uh, same-sex attracted to gay, again, there just wasn't a conversation going on within the, the church. One of the joys with my living out hat on of being invited to probably more church than I could go to at the moment is just churches are wanting to have the conversation. And I, yeah. I'm much more confident that a a 17-year-old version of me now has got much better access to resources, conversations than than would have been the case 25 years ago. And I'm genuinely thrilled by that, actually. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's for all the wrong things that we have with social media, that's one of the, the positive things, isn't it? That yeah. you can ask questions. I know people there. With your living out hat on then, whenever we switch on the TV, there seems to be, in my opinion, this is purely me saying this, all right? sure. there seems to me uh, an opinion that the media love to shoot down Christians at the best of times. And then especially if a church lambasts somebody for being gay, that's it, that the whole world and his dog yeah. needs to know about it. With both hats on as a Christian, 
and you know, we're living out. What do you think about the way the media treats the church, first of all, and also for people who are gay? Yeah, good, good question. I, I mean, one of the difficulties is that the media won't understand theology. That I, I think that's the issue yeah. in a sense. So I'm in the position of saying I want us to treat gay people really well. I think I hate homophobia. Everybody's made in the image of God. Yeah. Everybody is worthy of dignity and respect. And I believe sex is for a marriage between a man and a woman. Now, in a sense, just putting those two things together yeah. blows various people's minds. And I suspect it's probably too complex for the media to grasp. And so part of me wants to say churches do nuance like that, whereas the media are just latching on to one aspect or, or just taking one phrase and saying yeah. that's homophobic. So I think one of the challenges is in a, a media age where everything has to be done quickly, it's really hard to do nuance. And I want churches that are as loving as you can be towards those who are gay, even as you also say marriage is for a man and a woman according to, to Jesus' teaching. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. So if we have Mr. Angry from Pearly phoning up, <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing my age here, but people of a certain age would know who Mr. Angry from Pearly is, phoning up and saying, oh, yes, but it says in the Bible, blah, 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 which I'm sure the media have used to the mm. nth degree. What is your take on what the Bible says about homosexuality and what it actually says? Yeah, so my view is that the Bible says that marriage is for a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. and, and the Bible is negative about same-sex sexual relationships. I, I do think that's what the, the Bible teaches. And the reason for that is, in the Bible, marriage is actually a picture of something else. It's a picture of Jesus and the church. It's a picture of eternity. It's pointing to something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's both what the Bible says that explains why the Bible says marriage is for a man and a woman and is, is negative about sex outside that context. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing, of course, to say is that whenever the Bible talks about homosexuality, it does talk about homosexual practice being a sin, but always in, in the midst of a, a list of sins. It's never the sin. It's never you know, the thing that's worse than any other. And so I just want to say that the Christian message is good news for all of us who are broken and sinful in, in different yeah. ways. So if you want a summary of what the Bible says, it does say that sex outside marriage for a man and a woman is wrong. And then it says, and for all of us who who are wrong in, in those areas, there's forgiveness, there's love, there's the chance to know God, which is available to us through Jesus. So it's not the ultimate sin then? It's not the ultimate <laughs> sin. I mean, the, I mean, like all sins, all sin are a sign that we are out of joint with the God who made us, when we're thinking wisely and sensibly, we'll want to do what God tells us to do because, hey, he knows better than us. But it's just one of the ways in which we we don't live in line with God's plan. Yeah. And I suppose some ways, as you're alluding to as well, what's the difference between homosexual relationship as Christians and a boyfriend or girlfriend having a sexual relationship yeah. and yet neither of them are married? Yeah. I mean, I again, I would say that, that all sex outside the the committed marriage relationship it falls short of, of God's plan and is, is sinful. And the reason for that is, and I think this is the thing I, I always want to try and emphasize, 
Christians think marriage is about something different to what everybody else thinks about. Everybody else primarily thinks that marriage is about us finding joy and being satisfied and so on, at least on good days. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we, we think that as well. But we also think it's a picture of something else. And if Jesus' love for his people is marked by commitment and sacrifice and is marked by being different, so Jesus and us aren't the same, yeah. then actually Christians will say, well, as much as possible, we want to structure our relationships around that. A union between people who are different, marked by love and commitment and faithfulness and so on. And I suspect part of the reason our dialogue on this hasn't always been great is we've forgotten the big Bible story that says marriage is ultimately a picture of, of an eternal relationship between Jesus and us. Yeah. How many churches have you been to then, Andy, where you've had Mr. Angry from Purley suddenly getting up out of his seat and say, Oi, it says here. In Hezekiah 17, verse 3, you know what I mean by that. Well, I, and that's been fasting you, basically. Well, funnily enough, we, I mean, sometimes I get it from both sides. So, um, really? so which, I mean, Living Out will do. So, so Living Out will get some people saying, you know, even to talk about being a Christian or experiencing the same sex attraction is wrong. So yeah. sometimes we'll get that. At other times, because we're not saying gay marriage is right, we will get sort of opposition from from that end to say you yeah. know hey what's the problem surely love is love why are you against same-sex marriage so yeah we it's funny actually you can you can be in a church and you can get you can get mr and mrs angry taking completely different <laughs> positions but i have to be honest for the most part my experience in churches have been pretty positive actually but oh, occasionally good. you'll get you'll get anger from both ends of the uh, of the discussion that's good i want to change tack completely if that's okay mm because I want to know more about Mr. Andy Robinson, if that's okay. Oh, dear. Okay, go on. You're not the Andy Robinson that played rugby, so if those are, <laughs> no, right, are yeah. listening, you think, wow, I never knew that. No, no. Different Andy Robinson. He didn't have a great time as England coach, sadly. So No. Uh... no. So you're a different Andy Robinson. Mm. I would like to major on, if that's okay, your big change of decision a couple of years ago. First of all, when did you actually become a pastor? Oh, let's see. Uh, 2003 was when I started as, as uh, sorry, like Bath, I'm a pastor rather than a pastor. But uh, but 2003, I became pastor at, at Woodstock Road in Oxford. Great. And in 2003, the social media was just really kicking off, I suppose, wasn't yeah. it, really? So what was it like then when you turned up there and, you you know, you had all these great ideas of where you wanted to take the church? What do you remember those times? <laughs> Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I... It, it was a wonderful church to be pastor, actually. So I, I have nothing but, yeah, nothing but happy memories of, of being pastor. There. I mean, I, I remember the sort of early years. So as as an assistant pastor for six years, and where was assistant that? Where was that, pastors. Sorry, where was that? That that was in in the same church oh. that I at Woodstock Roads. I mean, assistant pastor is is I reckon one of the best jobs in the world because you get to do, you get to get alongside people, you yeah. get to preach and so on. But if anything goes wrong, you can pass the responsibility up. So uh, assistant pastor was was a great job. And, and that those six years were just a, a real joy of sort of learning how to preach and the congregation being pretty forgiving of some of my early sermons. I guess, you know, I, I was fairly young, sort of late 20s when I started. So, yeah. again, not really understanding some of the challenges older people would face. So it's quite a learning period, actually, of just... yeah. Yeah, what does life look like when you get older? What are the different challenges? So a lot of listening to people. 
but also seeing one or two people become Christians, which was always the highlight, actually. Being in Oxford, being around a few students who had big questions about life. So just lots of, lots of opportunity to to see people grow as Christians or become Christians, to le- learn to appreciate Jesus more. So yeah, those early years were, were just a really joyful time of, of exploring Jesus with lots of people who were intrigued and interested. Just an aside, what was it like when you went to that church and you said, oh, well, actually, this is my, my history, same-sex attraction and things like that. What was it like when you first told them? Yeah, so that, that was about 10 years in. Really? and The elders, the church leaders, knew my story before they appointed me. At that stage, I didn't tell the, the church. And probably as you look back to 2003, I don't think there was a, a church leader who was same-sex attracted yeah. talking publicly about that anywhere, actually. And then several of us around the 2013 period decided that was something we wanted to talk about publicly. So several church leaders in in different churches. That was partly to try and stop the church here praying that I'd find a wife. But uh, (laughs) probably the more serious point was, was just wanting people a generation below us to be able to say, hey, it's possible to be Christian, same-sex attracted, and keep going. Yeah, Because there just weren't many of those, certainly not in church leadership roles, who who were public about their, their same-sex attraction. So there were about, I don't know, four or five of us, within about a year or so of each other, started to talk to our churches about that. And the church, the church was wonderful, actually. Just, if I'm honest, I didn't think there'd be problems. What I thought would happen was I would tell people and there would be an awkward silence. Mm. You know, I kind of, let's just pretend that didn't happen. But uh, actually, people were wonderful, you know, just ask good questions, really keen to pray and care for me. Yeah, it was, it was actually one of the more positive experiences of my life, actually, oh, wow. was talking to the church about same-sex attraction and just being really well-loved by them. Wow. And what was the number one and number two questions that, for them to ask? Yeah, about? I mean, it, it was – I mean, the main question was just, hey, what's it like? How how can we help? How can we pray? Wow. That was just the, the main question that people asked, actually, which, yeah, was just, just lovely and – I say this to people as well that I, I know when I when they talk to me about their same-sex attraction, that actually to see people living with that and still wanting to live for Jesus, still persevering, is just evidence that the Holy Spirit really is at work, actually, to say, hey, this is something I wrestle with, and yet I still want to live for Jesus. It's just an encouragement, and people are lovely encouraging, oh, yeah, we can see the Spirit at work in you. Actually, in the same way that I can see the Holy Spirit at work in Christians who go through tough times for various reasons, and yet they're still on Sunday praising Jesus, that always encourages me, just that perseverance. So that that was the way in which people encourage me. Wow, brilliant. So I said I was changing tack, and mm. you come out, as they have to say these days, the church yeah. are actually reacting in a way that, they should have reacted thousands of years, well, not thousands of years ago, throughout church history. You're seeing love in action from the church and other people as well. Mm. And you're starting to obviously work, and the God is taking you through here. Why do you want to just give it all up and go elsewhere in 2022? That's the yeah. thing I really love like oh, to know about, please. To be honest, it was, oh, it was one of the more painful decisions, okay. well, probably the most painful decision I've ever made, actually. Yeah. So... I think two or three reasons, actually. So in at the church for 19 years, six as assistant, and then 
13 as one of the, the lead pastors, as it were. And yeah. I, I knew I was running out of steam slightly. So for, for most of those 19 years, I had ideas buzzing around my head as to, I think this is where the Lord is taking the church. And certainly for the last two or three, that had stopped being the case. And I just run out of ideas, actually. Uh, and so part of me just begin to wonder, is this the Lord moving me on? Mm. You know, just, just saying, actually, the church will benefit from fresh insight and, and so on. And funnily enough, actually, the church has flourished since I left, actually, which has just been <laughs> lovely to see. I mean, they, they're not missing me in the slightest. That's all the groundwork, that's, obviously, Andy. That's, well, <laughs> that's, that's what I like to think. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so partly a sense of just running out of steam or ideas. And then... Then two other things, so partly the other two jobs that I've, I've gone on to do. You know, I've been sort of involved with living out sort of on the periphery as a trustee actually for a while. And so I was aware that the demand for people to speak into issues of sexuality from personal experience is going to be a demand for that. Yeah. And let's be honest, there weren't, weren't that many people who could do that from a personal experience of same-sex attraction the sort of gap for somebody to direct it came up. And so a combination of, it just felt like the Lord was just beginning to move me on from the church, just in terms of I was running out of ideas. And just these two doors opened up almost simultaneously, really. It just made me think, okay, this is actually going to be painful to to leave, and it, it has been. Yeah. But this does feel like, yeah, the Lord very gently, nothing dramatic, but very gently seems to be moving me on and opening new doors. You say doors as in plural. Well, yeah. So, yeah. What else? The other thing that I do is direct the uh, South Central Ministry training course, which really needs a better title because it's a bit of a mouthful. But, I mean, that's a real privilege. So we get about 60 students or so who are keen to be equipped to serve within their churches Funnily enough, uh, we, we get a load of sort of folk in their early 20s, maybe who are taking a year out. And then we often get a lot of early retired people who are using their retirement yeah. to serve within the church. And so it, it's a lovely mixture of 22-year-olds and 62-year-olds. And, yeah, that's, that's just a treat to try and equip people in pastoral care, theology, Bible handling, preaching. So, yeah, as I say, I've been involved in it for a number of years before so that plus living out makes a, an interesting combination of uh, stuff to keep me occupied yeah tell us more about the decision though you had to make because i've been through it and other people will mm. no doubt who are listening today might not be going through it at the moment but certainly will what do you remember that time yeah so a, a lot of prayer actually i mean a lot of walking around uh of some of the decision making was during the sort of lockdown yeah. so it was uh it was using my hour a day taking exercise to often pray a lot as i walked lord i don't know what to do i think you're moving me on is that right and then a lot of talking to others actually so friends dotted around the country talking similar conversation to the one i've just had with you here's what i think is going on what do you guys make of it and to be honest, got a fairly consistent advice and saying, yeah, we do think the Lord is probably moving you on. And then in the end, the decision was whether living out and the ministry training course would appoint me. Uh, and that was that was just a useful moment of just praying through that process. Lord, if this is wrong, please close the door. You know, mm -hmm. just may they appoint somebody else. If this is from you, 
open the door and so a lot of prayer a lot of leaving it in god's hand as to what the outcome was a lot of a lot of getting advice and for me there wasn't you know there wasn't a voice from heaven in my case saying you know this is what you should do it was more sort of gradual yeah. inner convictions forming yeah, yeah, yeah well imagine then you've got the perfect church right <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah it has i don't think it exists but have you found a perfect church yet uh not no not no <laughs> and they're saying to you right andy we want you to take over we want you to be our pastor <laughs> only one rule and that is and i'm wording this politely and laughingly you flogged the living out to death we want you to take <laughs> a completely different tack what would it be oh gosh i mean i think if i found the perfect church they definitely wouldn't want me as their pastor but <laughs> i think i suppose in a few years time would i love to end up pastor a church that would have me again yeah that, that's that's probably the case i i think there are only so many years actually you can travel around the country talking about sexuality yeah, that's so funny, um yeah. so i i think yeah i i'm not entirely sure i imagine myself doing this well for the 20 or so years until i retire but but i, I think for this particular moment actually that it just feels like one of the key discussions going on within the the church and yeah. so so for the moment who knows what the future brings but for the moment there's a sense of yeah i think this is where the lord wants me yeah but i'm, I'm pretty sure there's another part of Andy Robinson who has got a, a real bugbear on the subject within the whole Christian community that you'd like to sort of promote. That's well, what I'm going to Yeah, ask. okay. This, is, this feels like a useful therapy session for me, actually. Um, <laughs> Tell but, yeah. me, where did it all start? Yeah, it's uh, funny enough. I, and I do, mercifully, I, I do get to speak on, on things other than sexuality. Yeah. So that the, the truth, actually, one of the truth that I love talking about most which is one of those truths I don't think we, we talk about very much, it is, the, is the sense that we are, the Bible talks about us being joined to Jesus. So Jesus says to his disciples before he dies, I'm going to come and live within you, which he does by the Holy Spirit. And, and elsewhere, he uses amazing language. He talks about the Father being in him and I will be in you. Somehow, somehow the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is, is similar to the relationship we now have with Jesus. And I just think all that stuff is mind-blowing and actually quite life-changing because it means the question the Christian asks every morning is, what are Jesus and I going to do together today? Yeah, Because we're not going to do it separately because he's living in us. So every day we ask, what are Jesus and I going to do together today? So that's, that's a just an aspect of the christian life i love exploring and love teaching and uh funnily enough i've just been back from doing a, a weekend with a church where i did a little bit on sexuality but did most of the weekends thinking about what it means to be united to jesus uh, i just love that truth and so so yeah when i get to talk about stuff like that that makes me happy as well well let's go for it then in the remaining time let's make andy robinson even happier <laughs> United, and we're not talking about a football team here, United to yeah. Christ. Tell us more, good sir. Jesus himself uses sort of images that, like, he's the vine and we're the branches. And yeah, my knowledge of agriculture is pretty rubbish, but I think they're supposed to be joined together. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even actually marriage, we've already talked about. Jesus and the church is an image of being joined together. Or elsewhere, we talk about Jesus being the head and we're the body. 
in other words, the whole Bible is full of stuff that says, as Christians, it's not about trying to live for Jesus who's up in heaven miles away. It's living out the fact that we are joined to Jesus, that his Holy Spirit is within us, and that everything that's happened, just as he died and rose again, a Christian is somebody who's died to an old life and is living a, a new life. That's the kind of thing that I that I mean is it's a it's two different ways to think about the Christian life. I think many of us are basically trying to work really, really hard to please Jesus who's up there somewhere. Yeah. Whereas the Bible's image of the Christian life is he's come to live within us, he's died for us, we're totally accepted by him, and we just get to live that out. So often if somebody asked me, what is it like to live as a Christian? Well, to live as a Christian is to live out the fact that Jesus lives in me, and so I get to try and be like him. So so some of it is just mainly to do with how we think about the Christian life first and foremost. But I just think that's liberating. So Because if you're trying to please Jesus who's miles away, that's pretty hard work. Whereas if you can say, hey, he's living in me, and he's accepted me, and I, I'm starting from a place of security, Oh, that's a great place to live as a Christian, start as a Christian. So one of the phrases I love using when I preach will go something like this. You do know it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, to have God living within you. And and so I've probably got a passion for Christians, even in the hardest of times, and we go through hard times. Mm. But even in the hardest of times, to still be able to say, okay, it's hard, but it is still a great thing to be a Christian and to have the living God uh, in my heart. Okay, then. Um, This isn't so much a therapy session now. (laughs) Why is it hard to be a Christian? Oh, because, well, because we were not in heaven yet. Because actually often the way, well, let's be honest, we're following Jesus who suffered. And so, so that it just inbuilt into being a follower and disciple of Jesus will mean will mean pain, will mean carrying a cross, will mean hardship. And so whether that's just the hardships just all of us face in this world, or whether it's the sort of peculiar difficulty sometimes being a Christian, like, I don't know, facing temptation, saying no to stuff we'd say yes to if we weren't Christians, sometimes being regarded as slightly weird. You know, for some people, they're the only Christian in their families. You know, then there are those sort of particular hardships to being a Christian. That can be difficult, but we're following we're following somebody who went to a cross. So it would be slightly surprising if the Christian life was just easy. But one of the phrases I love again, Apostle Paul uses this. He talks about the Christian life being sorrowful yet always rejoicing, mm-hmm. and I, I just love that. So there's the realism. This side of heaven, there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be battles. And yet always rejoicing to say, at the worst moments as a Christian, there is always something to cling on to because we've got the hope of heaven and because we've got Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit living inside us. Probably, I mean, it it would go back to some of the stuff about living with same-sex attraction, actually. For me, sorrowful yet always rejoicing isn't a bad summary, actually, of what what it's like. Mm. On the Living Out website and Please give a a good promo for at the end as well, please. Sure. One of the people that really blew my mind was, wow, it was infectious about her wanting to to live for Jesus, was uh, Anne, I think her name was. Yeah. Wow. She's great. Yeah. You hear about a testimony 
you know, about being gay. And then it just suddenly changes like that. And it's, it's infectious. To you, it's seeing this so often then must give you a great sense of uh, happiness and joy. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah. And, and the living out team of Fu Man is worn are just a joy to be part of and to work alongside because we've all got a similar story of probably something in life we don't always find easy yeah. and yet finding Jesus to be worth it. And yeah, that's, that's, it's just a real encouragement for all of us yeah, yeah. hearing that and seeing that from each other. Yeah. yeah. It's well worth having a look at uh, for those that are listening today. I want to talk about another word though, about being sorrowful and everything else. Uh, maybe this is me being, uh, in your room now, and you are the therapist. <laughs> Turning the tables on me. Brokenness. Yeah. What does brokenness mean to you, good sir? Oh, gosh. I mean, it it just really does describe life and how I feel very often, actually. And, and I, I suspect I'm not alone on that. One of the joys you get to know people is that's the case for all of us. So whether that's broken by circumstances we just find painful and wouldn't have chosen, or whether that's just the, the inner brokenness we feel. So, you know, we can talk about being loved by God and yet we'll still feel lonely at times. We can talk about living as a Christian is the best thing to live, and yet there's still an inward bent in us that takes yeah. us in the opposite direction. Yeah, it, it just means for all of us there will be elements of life we find painful, Elements of the Christian life we're struggling to obey. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, brokenness at lots of levels describes my experience. So, for those that are listening today, then who are going through that at the moment, what would you say to them? I'd say Jesus knows everything about you and loves you. That that's just what I'd say is Jesus knows everything about you. He knows the things that you're not going to tell anybody else about. He knows absolutely everything and he loves you. And I know that sounds quite simplistic, but I, I, I remember this was the case for me for a number of years, was somehow thinking there was a part of my life, the broken bit that I needed to hide from God or keep hidden or not admit to God, which was fairly futile because he could see it anyway. And then I, I consciously remember just it was for me in the sexuality area but the first time i ever really prayed about it and talked to the lord about it and just just a huge sense of relief actually and love that he knows everything about me and accepts me and i think for for christians who've got those areas where they just feel bruised and battered just to say the lord is compassionate I love that you know, he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Yeah. And in those areas, in those very areas you're slightly embarrassed about, it's in those areas that he is he is incredibly kind. I'm going to give you a, a name. and then I'd like you to tell me if there's uh, something you've learned out of the Bible over the past few years. And if I said the name Jonah, most probably get, oh, yes, yeah. he was swallowed by a fish and everything else like that. But for me... What I've got out of Jonah the past few years sums up, I think, where I've been at times, and that is that he was incredibly disillusioned. You know, eventually, reluctantly, he goes to Nineveh and then mm. gets really annoyed with God because yes. he hasn't dealt with him. He hasn't gone and biffed him up. He goes and sits un- yeah. underneath a tree, really, really deflated and cheesed off. And I'm going, Jonah, you're my man. I get that. I really yeah. get that. So what about yourself, sir? Who no, no, that's... Comes out of the Bible. Yeah, so I mean, 
I mean, Jonah, I, that's right, actually. Funnily enough, we're, I was teaching Jonah about the ministry training course this week, actually. And it, it's, <laughs> what was it? It's funnily enough, 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 no, no, it's funny. It's, but that's, Jonah's really interesting, isn't it? Because the way God meets Jonah at the end when he's feeling disillusioned yeah. is Jonah reminds, uh, so God reminds Jonah of, of his compassion. You know, you're, you're really angry about these Ninevites, but I'm full of compassion for them. And actually, the answer for Jonah is just to embrace God's compassion, actually. You know, God's concern for the Ninevites, actually God's concern for him. Yeah. I mean, Job is like this. The, the great thing about Job is that is in his disillusionment, he ran towards God rather than away from God. Because that's a temptation, isn't it? You were, were disillusioned with life, disillusioned with the church, maybe. And the temptation at that moment is to run in the opposite direction, away from God. Whereas what Job does, he takes the questions and he runs towards God and talks to God about them. And and I I think for all of us, when we go through those moments, and I've, I've been there, yeah. the challenge is, can you see the Lord as gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and go towards him, even in your disillusionment? Yeah. The problem with Job and Jonah is that Jonah is only like a few pages long. And suddenly it abruptly ends. I'm going, no, 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 yeah. I want to see what goes on. Whereas Job, it's like 600 page wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Slightly not. laughs> I love that about Job because uh, it's funny. One of the one of the things when I was working with students, occasionally they would say, hey, Andy, can you come and give a 10 minute talk on suffering? And I would just say, no, I can't give a 10 minute talk on suffering. A 10 minute talk on suffering means you regard suffering as sort of trite and glib and Good point. I think the fact that you get a really long book in Job just speaks to the fact that issues of suffering don't tend to get solved in a three-minute conversation. Good point. You know, I, I mean, certainly as a pastor, the conversations I had with people in pain didn't tend to be short conversations. They tended to be pretty long and repeated. Yeah. And I just think that's what life's like. And I just love the fact that in Job, God has given us a long book to show that suffering is worth taking seriously i never thought of it like that before now whether i can read it again <laughs> yeah but it does need some perseverance <laughs> it does indeed doesn't it well we're rapidly running out of time unfortunately andy it's been an amazing time and i'm oh, so glad we did the, the the latter bit because to find out what the real andy is like and just <laughs> the way you can explain things is like yeah i want to hear more about this I want to be here about that. Uh, For those that want to know more about you, good sir, how can they find out? Yeah, so, I mean, the Living Out website is probably the best place to go, so livingout.org. Actually, the, the church that I that I pastored, uh, Woodstock Road Baptist Church, uh, wrbc.org.uk, yeah, there's about 19 years of sermons <laughs> kicking around on that. But also, I just think it's it's not a perfect church, but it was an absolute joy to be part of. Yeah. Uh, for that time and so again that would be a a good place i mean actually to well hear even better resources than the ones i produce because um pastor's doing a brilliant job there now so we'll start road baptist church the other place to find some info well before we get to the final question to find out who your christian hero is you know, if you were a rock star I'd be going okay then andy you've given up rugby you've given up being a pastor you're now a world famous rock star you've got all the festivals to play where yeah. you're going to be playing this you know this summer you then tell them, but you're not. But <laughs> what events have you got coming up, I would have thought, this summer, so people can come see you? Oh, gosh. Well, plenty of other reasons. So I'm 
uh, speak at the Keswick Convention up in Cumbria wow. on uh, in the second week of that. Really looking forward to that. I mean, I, again, I'm only doing a little bit, and I love Keswick as a convention to go to, and Parley is beautiful, but just a lovely ethos, actually. Yeah. I've spoken once before and just just love the sense of oneness, of partnership, of uh, just of warmth and generosity. So, yeah, part of my instinct would be go to Keswick, try and avoid the week that I'm speaking. But, uh, so, yeah, very much looking forward to that this summer. And the Living Out team do what we call Living Out Days, sort of dotted around the country, where we, we try and provide training and equipping on just how do we handle, I was going to say the issue of sexuality, but also the people involved in the issue, as it were. So if you check out the livingout.org on events, that will give you an idea of where the team is at, at various points over the next few months. So, yeah, I think we're in places like Manchester and we're down in London, down in Bath, I think, as well. There's probably not in Bath. So in Bath as oh, well. So, so, uh, so there we go. But, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, on the website, all those questions that we haven't talked about today. Sure. For instance, is it a social disease? Is it generic? Is whatever? Yeah. They're all answered on. They're all, there's website. yeah, plenty of podcasts dealing with those questions as well, which is great. Andy, great sir, I'm really looking forward to this. Who is your Christian hero? Someone that is dead, so that mm. we can't then be accused of. Oh well, have you? What happened to such and such? You know. So Andy Robinson, not that one, but this one. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your Christian hero, sir? I'm going to go for a guy called Hudson Taylor. So yeah, it's about time too. Ah, oh, so nobody. I can't remember the last time Hudson Taylor was chosen. So, wow. Ah, excellent. So, so Hudson Taylor. Those people, just to put it into context, when I became a Christian reluctantly, can I just say, way back in the 80s, mm. <laughs> my little church, not my little church, church I attended, yeah. uh, we did a thing on Hudson Taylor. So oh, wow. He then, of course, is, plays a big part of my life because my hero is George Muller. But anyway. Oh, okay, go. yeah. Please tell us. There we go. Well, similar timing to George Muller. So yeah. 19th century. Actually, as somebody born in Manchester, this pains me. He's a Yorkshireman. But anyway, <laughs> so he's a Yorkshireman. And the uh, most important thing about him is he ends up as a, a pioneer missionary to China, mm -hmm. goes through huge sacrifices to uh, to get there. But just three things about him. So just a real heart for Jesus and a heart for people to hear about Jesus. So whereas most of the missionaries at the time stay on the coast of China, which is more developed, he heads inland to, to China where there was just huge sacrifice involved, quite a lot of risk in that. So a heart for Jesus and for people to hear about Jesus, but also a real respect for the Chinese culture, actually. So really committed to... Chinese language, really committed to, to Chinese dress, really you know, very keen to make sure that the message he preached wasn't a cultural message, but was adapted to Chinese, respecting the Chinese culture and being clear about Jesus. And then the last thing is he was the guy who introduced me to the whole idea of being united with Jesus. Okay. So um, he is. So there's a moment where around the middle of his life he goes through real pain actually his wife dies he's overwhelmed by the pressures of ministry feels totally exhausted and there's a moment where he says what turned him around was that the holy spirit opened his eyes to our oneness with jesus and he's got a great phrase think of it can christ be rich and i poor 
And he says, you know, if I'm attached to Jesus and in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and I'm joined to him, can I be poor? Can I lack the resources to live for him? And so he says, look, if I'm joined to Jesus, then I've got all the resources that I need to keep going and to keep persevering. Can Christ be rich and I poor? And I've lived off that phrase quite a bit over the years. So there you go. Hudson Taylor Brilliant. would be my hero. Wait, what a choice. I was flying a flag for George Muller from Germany. Mm. Originally ended up in yeah. Bristol, mm. pronounced Bristol, three syllables. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, George Muller was uh, one of his benefactors, if I remember rightly. And it was, yeah, I was think it, that's right. Was yeah. it the China Inland Mission? That yes, set up? that's right. Yeah, Which that's right. Morphed uh, into, I forgot what it morphed into. Uh, OMF, it became. OMF. Yeah. So, and he went mm. there, Hudson Taylor, and decided to dress up like the clothes they were wearing at yeah. the time as well. So could That's be right. Identified. Yeah, absolutely. Remarkable man. Wow. Great choice. Andy, it's been a real privilege for me to take up a, oh. an hour or so of your time. Well, thank, thank you, you Martin. Thank you so much, sir. It's, it's been an amazing time. Thank you, sir. Great. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.